Hello, and welcome to The Delicious Truth with Gloria Cotton. I'm Gloria. During this podcast, we're going to cover a variety of topics that are impacting our everyday lives. We'll look at four things for each topic. One, the absolute empirical truth. That's all about the facts and data. Then we'll look at the personal experiential truth. And that's about how those facts and others do and don't show up in people's lives and their experience of them. Next, the consequential, impactful truth. The difference this makes in people's lives. And finally, you'll hear about resources and solutions you can use to empower yourself and others. Hello, and welcome to the Delicious Truth Podcast. On this episode, we are going to be talking with my friend. And you know what? I ask the guests uh, when they come on, how do they want me to refer to them? Because I want them to be uber comfortable uh, in the way that I say their name and whatever title and that sort of thing. So Pat and I have known one another, I don't even know how long, a long time. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Is it 20 years? Has it been? I would say close to yeah, 20. Yeah. Yeah, close to 20 years. <laughs> so here's here's what she said. I said, how would you like me to address you? And so here's what she said. Pat, sister, dear friend, bless your heart. <laughs> and then she goes, <laughs> no, don't say that. But it's so funny and so representative of our <laughs> relationship where I will tell y'all that we have talked about really sensitive things, things we've agreed about, things we've disagreed on. And so it is, Pat, it is my pleasure to have you on this podcast. Let me let me tell y'all something a little bit about Pat before uh, I engage in conversation with her. So the name of this podcast, the title of it, is Becoming a Recovering Racist, One White Woman's Journey. And so here's some things you need to know about my friend, sister of my soul, Pat Lane. Um, she is a recovering racist and admits it. She says, wow, to see that in print is something else. I love Jesus. <laughs> I love him too. She's a wife, a mom, grandmother, volunteer, leader. This woman is busy, y'all, doing so many kind things to help people wherever she goes and whoever she touches. A budding social activist, former director of marriage initiatives at Kensington Church, former business trainer, which is how I met her, program developer and consultant, how I met her. Uh, she <laughs> says, I taught people how to get along. Hello, Dara. This is why we need to be talking to you. Strong automotive background, not just because she lives in Michigan, but strong automotive background, both as an employee of General uh, Motors and as a trainer of the big three. Grew up in suburban Detroit and now lives in Traverse City, Michigan. Oh, Pat. This is scrumptious and delicious, honey. There's a hug in your future right now. I wish I could give it to you. Oh, Welcome. I wish you could. Oh. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Time for you to talk. I'll be quiet. How you doing, baby? I am I am so excited to be here and I want to thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um I'm doing great. It's uh a little dismal right now in Traverse City, but um, uh, I just feel like a light is shining on us both as we're, you know, going to have a great conversation. And yeah. I just love 
seeing your face and being able to be in your presence again. It's just a real blessing for me. Thank you. And for me as well. I'd like to begin this by just getting a grounding. And so Pat, as y'all have figured out, and as we've both told you, is a woman who is white. And I am a woman who is black. Pat, I'd like each of us to answer this question. How are you feeling about racism today? So what are some words you would use to describe the feelings that you have about race today? What do you say, Pat? Wow, that is such a a good question. Um, I guess the first word that came to my mind, um, and this is just an honest conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, but the first word that came to my mind is anger. And it's it's not just anger at others. It's really anger at myself as well. Um, and and where that comes from is anger at myself because I I either lived in a state of denial or uh, or just uncaring. And so today, when I think of race racism, I think of but the first word that comes to my mind is anger. Hmm. The second word, though, that comes to in my to my mind, though, is is redemption. Mm. I, I, I really think that if we are all willing and, and I'm talking about, I'm looking at this strictly as a, as a person who is white, Mm -hmm. if we are willing to explore what truly racism is and let down our barriers that we've put up to and our ignorance in, in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. I think that it can become um, a time of redemption, a time where we can, uh, can change the trajectory of where everything is going and continues to go. And we can truly make a difference and redeem this mm-hmm. uh, and redeem ourselves actually. Uh, and our, participation or lack of participation in what we call racism. Mm, Thank you. My words when I answer that question, you know, today, because it depends on the day, what my feelings are. Um, Today, I'm hopeful. Um, I continue to be, what is the word I want to use? It is stymied that people continue to deny that it's happening. Now, I understand why. I understand the myriad reasons why people deny it. Um, Some of it is because it's too painful for people to admit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people, because they're afraid that uh, they're going to end up losing some things that they only have because we have this horrible class and caste system in the United States, um, which race, which is a part of racism. Um, and so they're afraid of losing what they have. Again, I say, which is they've gotten only because uh, this class system uh, uh, exists. I think some people are disappointed um, because it's hurtful for them to, to realize. I, I think some people 
uh, believe in the aspirational America that is in those 52 words of the preamble of the Constitution, which I continue to say I love them. I love those words, but we've never been that country. And so, and so the reality of it, I think, surprises some people and it's hard for them to take. Those are some of the reasons. But today, that's why I'm stymied. I continue to be stymied. How much proof, I always ask, how much proof will it take before you realize this is just the way it is? You know, the sun comes up most mornings. Racism exists every day. <laughs> so no, that's true. Um, that's true. And I, I think that the other thing is just the selfishness that mm, that mm, and and mm. I participated in this. I mean, I mm-hmm, I mm. I'm not saying anything that I didn't participate in. I, I don't know that it was necessarily intentional, right. but there there is there is a selfishness when when we do not pay attention to really what is going on. And yeah. I think that's really something that's going on today where people are so self-focused and so centered on themselves that um, that they're not willing to look at things through the eyes of their other brothers and sisters. And um, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it's inexcusable really that this should still be an issue after, after all, you know, after hundreds of years, I mean, really hundreds, hundreds of years. And And, and some of it it is because we just didn't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we Mm -hmm. can talk more about that, but some of it for me, it, it was an awareness. There are so many things until the last few months. And again, it could be just my own, not dwell, you know, not digging into the real issues, but um, there's so many things where history has been written in such a way that it it san- has sanitized yes. really the truth. And um, so some and of it so, is a mis- some yeah. of it is a misrepresentation and a mistelling or lying about the real history of our nation. Some of it yeah. is because a friend of mine says we all live on different planets, but we all live in different worlds. So I want to know a little bit more about your world. Tell us a little bit about your background um, and where you came from, where you grew up. Sure. Like well, I grew up in Detroit, in the suburban Detroit, actually. I was born in Detroit um, in the 1950s. And uh, uh for a lot of people probably would realize that that Detroit has been, I think it's getting a lot better, but Detroit has been a city of division. And um, so my parents in the 1950s, uh, mid 1950s were part of that group of white people that fled the white flight is what we called it to the suburbs. So I actually grew up in a, a very affluent suburban community of Detroit. I, um, I didn't, I had, there were no black people in my school, no people of any color other than white, um, no diversity at all. Now this is, that area is now diverse, mm-hmm. but, uh, I would still say it's still limited as far as, uh, people who are, uh, black, but it, there is diversity, some diversity. Mm-hmm. But that's that's my upbringing. I um, so I, I I hadn't I didn't really the only occasion that I had to be around people of color 
would be the um, domestic staff, actually, that would work with for my friends, for the parents of my friends. My parent, my mom didn't have any help. She, both my parents come from super humble upbringings. My dad considered himself a self-made man, which is its own issue. <laughs> and uh, so, and my mom came from a very poor background. So my mom would not, my mom did everything in our household, mm-hmm. but that was the only uh you know, sometimes when I would be at one of my friends' houses, uh, if there was a reason that maybe the the house cleaner would bring a, a child, that we would then play with that child. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that was awkward. It was awkward anyway. It would have yeah. been awkward just a new kid. But uh, that's it. That was it until I went off to college. And I went to Michigan State. And so that was, and so you think I entered Michigan State in 1968. So if you think of those turbulent times yes. of women's rights, civil rights, the war in Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, there were tons of things that were going on. And um, so it was a turbulent time, but no, I I just really, my upbringing was not one of, I just didn't interact. Yeah, you just I, don't know what you don't know. You, and, you and just you don't had, know what you don't know. But I do know you had that, no opportunity. I want to say you had no opportunity because different worlds, black people right. and white people live in different worlds, different neighborhoods, different social uh, gatherings, different churches, different yeah. everything. My parents were, uh, I, I'm, I'm just going to say it, My especially my dad was one you know, I can I can bookend it with all these. He was a great dad. He was wonderful. Yeah. I love my both my parents very much, but he was a racist. Mm-hmm. And so was my mother, probably a little less extent. My my dad's parents were uh first generation. They were immigrants from Bulgaria. So my dad was first generation American, um, had experienced his own style of discrimination, you know, but his skin is white. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't, you know, he, he, he may have had an insane discrimination, but he was able to get up and out of that because mm-hmm. of the color of his skin. Mm-hmm. I don't think he ever, I was raised with the attitude of, Hey, you know what? It does. This is the land of the free and the brave and whatever you want to do, it's there for you. You can do it. Um, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps without actually knowing what that meant. And I really believe that. And I saw that it had happened for him. And I believe that that was available to everyone. And I'm embarrassed mm. to say that the reality of that not being a, as readily available really came into deep flourishion for me just this summer. Wow. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't know why maybe it's just. So, so let me, well, I can, I can tell you some of the reason why is because we have been sold a bill of goods about the Mm -hmm. American dream. See the American dream is a wonderful thing. It goes right along with the preamble of the Constitution, but it was never intended. The GI Bill is wonderful, but it was like 1% of GIs that were Black actually took advantage of it. Those things were never intended for people who were not the people who wrote those laws. 
And the people who wrote the Constitution started the with the wonderful preamble in 1787, and it was ratified in 1788. They started it with these words, quote, unquote, we of the people. That really sounds good, doesn't it? Well, here's the truth. The we they, they were talking about was only themselves. And here are the six points that they were talking about. And the people, the we, the people that they thought worthy of inheriting the benefits that come with the preamble and the Constitution. I read here we go. One, you had to be white. And so if you were a person of color, no, it wasn't about you. You had to be middle-aged. That is not too old, not too young. You had to be Goldilocks when it came to your age. You had to be a man um, who, for, self-identified as straight. If they were or not, I don't know. You had to be Christian, and you had to be a property owner. You had to be all six of those things. And we, when we look at all the people that special laws have had to be passed, for them to have, quote unquote, equal rights and be considered one of we, the people, is people of color, is old people and young people. It's people who don't self-identify as men. It's people who don't self-identify as straight. So the LGBTQIA plus community is anybody who is not a Christian. So any other religion other than Christianity and and you had to be a property owner. So if you're poor, it was not written for you. See, that's the that's the deal that people have to realize. People of color and white people that don't own property and don't self-identify as all this other, all these other six things I'm talking about. Now, how about that? That's a hot mess, isn't it? First of all, I think the number one foundation for my awakening, so to speak, is the pandemic, because mm. it, it caused me, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm because of my age and some other health considerations, early on, I had to uh, go into self-quarantine. And uh, so what that caused us, caused me to do anyway, is to slow down. And so it gave me more time mm. to be able to pay attention to some of the things around me that I was, I'm a really super busy person and mm -hmm. way too busy. And uh, so it gave me the time to sit back and, and to reflect on things that I never had. So honestly, I, I, I know, you know, over 200,000 people have died due to this pandemic, but I guess sometimes we can look at some things as a, and not a blessing that they died, not at all, but, but for me, it at least one of the good things out of it is that I slowed down. Yeah. The other I, thing I look that, at that too, I look at that too. Yeah. It's a horrible. It's a, and we're talking about the coronavirus, COVID nineteen. Yes, the coronavirus. What depends yes. on when people listen to this, they might yeah. not know. So, COVID virus right. or or uh, the coronavirus we're talking about. Um, sure. But I look at the good things that have come from this horrible situation. Um, and that's called being resilient. And that's what we need in order to not only survive, but then to thrive and not lose our minds and become part of the toxicity that's going on around us. We need to do that. We need to do that. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I so agree with that. And and then I guess what, what happened is I've always been a, 
uh, probably too much on Facebook. And mm-hmm. but I I did I did see uh, this is what really hit me. Besides, you know, certainly we were having all of these things, you know, um, happening with uh, uh, injustice and and people being murdered unjustly and and all of that. Uh, but I. I read the post of a young man who is a worship leader at, uh, uh, I go to a large mega church and, Mm -hmm. uh, and our campus down in the Detroit, one of our campuses down the Detroit area, his name is Jalen. And I read, I read a Facebook post that he had. This is, this man is so faith-filled and so absolutely talented his music god has gifted him with so much he is african-american and he wrote this post that literally broke my heart what's his name what's his name his name is jalen Seawright. okay and jay this post basically talked about how being a black man in in our culture today and how painful it is and i i think as much as I, I now know quite a few people who are, are you know, people of color, um, you, you know, I, I don't know that I've, I've ventured into much conversation on some of these issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, well, we've been taught not to talk about it. Yeah, you've been, yeah. you know, we all have been taught not to all talk about it. That's right. That's and, right. and so here's that just opened up something. And then so, somewhere in this, there were uh, quite a few Facebook strings and conversations that went on as a result of that. And in there, someone met, recommended the book, Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. Mm-hmm. And um, the funny thing is, is that um, I was I, one of the things I've done during this pandemic is lead some Zoom women's studies, and one of the people in my in the study we were in at the time we were looking for a new book, and she said, "I mentioned this," and she said, "Hey, why don't we do that? Why don't we do Be the Bridge?" Mm-hmm. So that started. It started with Jalen, and then going through this book called Be the Bridge. Well, tell me about um, it. Tell me about well, it. What about that book? It's um, it's it's a it's it's a tough book to get through. It really is. It is a book that first of all, I want you to know, I did this all wrong. I mean, maybe there's not a right or a wrong, but I think you're supposed to have somebody of color in your group. And I live in Traverse City. <laughs> We don't have a whole lot of black people up here, you know. And, yes. um, but it, it, our group was already formed, but, so and, we just and, and decided let me to just say. Let me just say, but this was a Zoom meeting, right? Yeah, but but we were had already been meeting in person as yes. a group, and so yes. then we decided we would uh, we would just do this book because it was on the heart then of a couple of us. So, um, the book itself is written by, uh, a Latasha Morrison, who, uh, has been, uh, in ministry for a really long time and basically working, um, in ministry in predominantly white churches. Mm-hmm. Latasha Morrison is an African-American woman okay. and, uh, but she has worked predominantly in white, uh, community, uh, white uh, churches. Okay. And um, she just, through 
through her uh, experiences that she has had, she realized that there was a need for us to to learn how to be the bridge between the mm-hmm. barriers that we have put up between, uh, you know, the the in, you know individual uh, races, but basically white people uh, putting up a barrier mm-hmm. to uh, people, any people of color. And so she, the name of the book is Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Rec- Racial Reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So the book basically, um, that was that was something we started to, to dig into. And it had me right at the very beginning, because in the very beginning of the book, she details some things that uh, historical events that I had no, no idea about. I had no idea about a woman named Mary Turner mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. you know, her, it was a horrible situation that happened to her in 1918. I would suggest your listeners look that up because it was a horrible situation. I had no idea about the Tulsa riots. I had no idea that in 19, I think 1921, yes. that, a, a community outside of Tulsa, I think it was called Greenwood. Um, it was all African American, and they were doing so incredibly well. They yeah. they almost were like Wall Street. And yeah. jealousy is what drove it. It became they were actually attacked by military. Yes. I mean, it was a military because, attack on that community because they defied the class and caste system. That's required in the system of institutionalized racism. It's required for these people to stay at their level, to have everybody else at their level. That's why it's so hard to deconstruct this because it's not one, there's not one thing that that's going to happen. It's many things and people are scared to death. Yeah. One of the things that this book taught me, there is a lot of, there's, there's two primary things that I learned from this book. But one thing is that we really have to, as, as white people, we need to have open hearts. We need to have, we need to have a state of humility and we need to examine the history and Mm -hmm. be willing to accept the history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. And it may be that, you know, we personally, Pat Lang didn't create this. But what is my role in it now? Yeah, yeah. Because it is continuing on. It's a, it's systemic. It's in our system. You know, you mentioned the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. The, the the truth of the matter is that the GI Bill wasn't even available to mm-hmm. more than one or two percent of the black men, mainly men, coming back from World War II. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's, it's ridiculous. Too- I mean. Tools are available. Tools are created. And the reason they're created is wonderful. The people, uh, the need that it addresses, that they address, wonderful. And again, unless you're white, male for the most part, um, uh, Protestant, and say you're uh, middle-aged, and say that you are straight, they, none of them were written for you. I'm sorry, darling. Yeah. None of them were. And this is, that's one of the points I want to get to people. Yeah. So, so, so what, how does that show up in 
your life now? What have you learned? Well, one of, one of the things that I, I learned from this book is, first of all, the importance of, and, and I'm applying it to my life, is, is the importance of lament. Um, you know, I can, I can study and I can learn. Uh, I can, but it's really important to marinate in that a little bit and mm-hmm. to really, because to really lament about it, to, to really feel the, the pain in a sense of what others may have gone through and um, to, to feel it truly deep in our hearts. That doesn't mean we stay stuck there, mm-hmm. but we, we too often, and, and this is a great learning, no matter what it is, what kind of reconciliation we're trying to go through. Um, we, we have a tendency to want to jump right from forgiveness to reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think we really need to, to really lament through so we can at least try to experience the feelings of, of others that may have been hurt. How do you and do that? How do you do that? That's a great goal. <laughs> How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, personally, I, I I think everybody will be different, and it depends on where they are in their in their religious or spiritual journey. But for mm-hmm. me, it's prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's really conversation. I should call it. It's not just prayer. It's mm-hmm. it's it's conversation with God that I can take a, a topic such as as Mary Turner. And just, you know, pour out to God and then rest and perhaps not necessarily hear his audible words. Maybe I do sometimes, but maybe I don't. But to really feel his presence in in what has transpired uh, during that time. Um, so I, I allow my heart to ache is what I do. Mm-hmm. I really allow my heart to ache. But the beauty in that is that from there, this is the cool part. <laughs> mm. From there, when I really allowed myself to ache, when I moved into saying, I, I, I do think I have, I am in a state of right now uh, asking for forgiveness. Uh, I could ask that of you um, for, for forgiveness for my ignorance and my uh, uncaringness all of that and and that but what what i need to do with that is is my repentance is to also then change and i don't think you can truly change unless you have felt the pain of what others may have experienced um is that a realistic so, expectation is that a realistic expectation oh, to feel the pain yeah no, it's no. probably not. And I don't think we can fully feel it. No, I know you can't. So what no. can you do? I mean, no matter how much you tell your husband about having your experience of childbirth, he's never going to be able to get it. No, that's true. So yeah, what, true. I mean, I we have to be real in our ask of ourselves and each other. Yeah. So what can we really do? Because we need to associate and connect with people on an emotional level, but That's how do you it. go about doing that? Well, that, 
that's part of the recovery process. That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's part of why I called this. Uh, I'm a recovering mm-hmm. <laughs> racist, and, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not. I'm not totally there. I, I, I'm still on this journey, and and I, I think I think one thing for me is that is the humility mm. uh, piece is so important. Um, being willing to humble myself to to what I don't know and what I do know now that the one thing is for sure from what I do know now, what I've been able to lament through is that I can't now not do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if anything, we have to take action of some sort. Um, so you, you asked if that's realistic. I, I don't know how realistic or unrealistic any of this is. It's just the journey and I'm on. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's something I have never, ever gone through before, really. None of us have, none of us have really. No, no. And, and that's not to say that you, you and I have had, uh, you know, a very loving relationship for most of the time that we've known one another. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and it didn't take us very long to establish that. No. Um, but exposure is part of it. And people yeah. going out of their way to get exposure. Um, and then what what have you done to not be afraid of the topic? What have you done to not be afraid of the topic? That's a really good question. Um, I, you know, I think doing this study with and, and the all of us in the study, we were um all of us that were involved in this study were coming at this from different perspectives. And some of us had experience and had, had been around people of color and some of us had not. Mm -hmm. So we're all going to have something different um, that we're going to, to take, uh, to take away from this. So now I have to stop. I forgot your question. (laughs) What is, it's all right. Cause this is many layers to this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the question was, what do you, how do you not be afraid of this topic? Because if you're scared of it, you won't have the conversations. You won't do anything. Okay. That's where I was going. I think one of the things that uh, was helpful in a way, even though I should have actually done the study with a, a person of color in the study. The the truth is, is that the fact that we were five or six white women coming together, we could be extremely real with mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we were all different. We were all coming at this. And so we could actually even be a little tough on each other mm-hmm. about, about the topic. So I think there was a comfort in that um, I'm not afraid now to have the conversation. You and I have had a couple of conversations. Um, I'm not afraid to do that. I am not afraid at all to step in when I see something or hear something that is racist, what I consider to be racist, mm-hmm. or is just even simply uh, putting down people who are uh, of color or other people. Yeah. who um, are different than us, than, than us, I shouldn't even say that, but different than, uh, than the person who is talking. I'm not afraid mm-hmm. to step in and call them out on it. Um, 
in a, in a, I hope I do it in love. I, I hope that I uh, speak the truth in love. And yet I think it's important. And that's, that's the part where I'm struggling with right now is the what next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what is next for, for me? I am going to be doing another study. I'm leading another study in this. And now I've got nine women <laughs> who are involved in this study. And Gloria, I think I'm going to call you in on one of our sessions, if you Anytime. don't mind. Because once I just let, I just kind of threw it up to, to, to God. And I said, okay, if you want a woman of color to come in, because it's a women's study, I'm, that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. A woman of color to come in, then let her come in and but no it filled up with all white women mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm, it's okay mm-hmm. but I think I'll I think I will bring you in but I'm I'm looking forward to that but really it's the what what is next for us uh, mm-hmm. for me personally mm-hmm. where can I make an imprint and and uh, living in Traverse City now it's it's it it may not be the African-American community. It may not be the black community, but it might be our indigenous population mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. up here, or mm-hmm. it might be um, our Hispanic population. We have a significant Hispanic population. Mm-hmm. So to bring, not to rescue, that's the other thing I learned is that so many white people come in and want to rescue mm-hmm. uh, people, want to want to fix them. Nobody needs to be fixed. They just need to be loved and mm-hmm. and yeah. supported yeah. and to feel that they've got their back. That's really what we're supposed to, what I believe we're called to do is yeah. that we have yeah. your back. Well, not only that, we have your front. I like that. The people are not broken. The system is broken. And actually, exactly. actually, I, I, the system is not broken. The system works wonderfully. It is a diseased system. Yeah. It works. There's a lot of diseases. People need to stop talking about that because the system works wonderfully at doing what it was designed to do. But I want to just acknowledge that you are doing what you were designed to do. And that is (laughs) to be an ally to people that are victimized by that diabolical system. So I, I, I thank you for that for on behalf of, Anybody that's impacted by that, and the list is long, but we're starting with Black people. You mentioned Indigenous people, people mm-hmm. of the LGBTQIA+. Mm-hmm. So yeah. as we're coming, see how see how quickly this time goes by? Oh, boy. Lord have mercy. You and I, you know, <laughs> we can I mean, talk for hours. And I can listen to you for hours. Like, we may have to have mm-hmm. you come back again. But but what what is one thing, if you had to just give a word to other white people, a message to them, what would that message be? Wow. Well, the word that came to my mind, which is a long word to white people, is selflessness. Giving up of ourselves and being willing to open our hearts and our minds to the reality of what really has transpired over hundreds of years. Mm. So that would be something. And, and to, I think that's a good place to start because it places us into, this is where I'm at. 
um, it places us into a posture of humility. Mm. And, and through humility, I think there's so much growth and we can learn to, um, to understand who we are, all are on this place called earth while, while God has us here. And, and I, th- I just think that that's what I would say to white people and to love, <laughs> love, I guess, is the, the word that would go for, for both to love. Mm. Uh, we have to learn to truly love one another truly love, and truly love, love, true love mm-hmm. is, is, a, is sacrificial. And that's giving up of self. So I guess I would say that also for people of color, I, the word that comes to my mind is for, forgive us. So many of us do not know what we've done or mm. how possibly we continue to participate. Um, so to, to be willing to forgive us and to love us and participate in Loving one another, and hopefully, at some point in time, that's if that's what we leave with this earth with is loving one another. I don't know that we could just ask for anything more than that. That's pretty good. If we look at the things that stand between us and blind us to that, that would yeah. be good. One of the things, and I, I'm, I'm gonna close this down with this. One of the things that I wrote on August 29th was because what comes up a lot is a conversation about privilege. And I I wrote this, this came through me. Don't apologize for your privilege in and of itself. It's neither good nor bad. Whether you're proud of how you earned it, inherited it or not. The question is, how do you use it? Use your privilege and other strengths to consciously and intentionally help yourself and those who do not have it. Yeah, I remember when I read those words, it choked me up right now. That's really where it's at. You know, just how can I use my privilege, and I sure have it, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to help others, just to love them (laughs) and to help others? How can I do that? Yeah, that's beautiful, Gloria. I love you. I love you too. I thank you so much for being a guest on The Delicious Truth. We've been speaking truth here today. We've been we speaking. <laughs> there's a, a, a book and a movement, Truth to Power. We've been speaking mm-hmm. truth to power today. I thank you yeah. so much. I love you. Um, and you know, there's so many hugs <laughs> in your future if you want I can't <laughs> I can't wait. I I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me on here. (laughs) Thank you, darling. So here's some things I took away from this marvelous conversation that Pat Lang and I had together. One, and the overarching thing is we are all in this together. All people, all races, all diversities, we are in this together. And we need to get into these conversations and let them be led by and in and from, and let our responding and our listening be with love. You know what? There is a responsibility for white people. There is more of a burden on white people because the system 
uh, of racism has more privileged power and riches purposely for white people. So it's an opportunity for you to use that privilege, that power, and your riches to help people that the system deliberately keeps it from. Um, And so there is that. But there are burdens on both sides. And so really looking at not tiring each other out, but how can you get into these discussions with love so we can move to and through and beyond this thing called systemic racism, realizing we all have a part in it. We all have opportunities in it, too. Love is the answer. That's it. And if you'll take that, approach it with love. And even if you don't, there's a hug in your future if you want one.